0: Hey, welcome to the show, and let's uh, let's jump right to it. You ready for some wrong think? By the way, I, I just I want to give credit where credit is due. I have a small inkling of how hard it is to uh, to get a good, solid take on what's going on around us, just because there is a blizzard of disinformation that swirls around us pretty much any time and i mean 24/7 there is so much information mixed with disinformation that i think a person could be forgiven if they have a tough time figuring out you know what uh, what makes sense and what doesn't in fact i'm going to go so far as to say i believe that uh, one of the most difficult albeit necessary things that a person needs to be able to do in times of crisis is to think clearly and independently and when you are being fed bad, incomplete, or sometimes false information, that's a pretty tall order to fill. And I don't want to sound like I'm just, you know, ranting about, uh, you know, the media. But I'm going to tell you, there, there are very few people out there who deserve the title of Journalist. You've probably heard me if you've been a longtime listener or even if you've been listening to me for a while, you'll know that um, my respect for journalists is limited to a very, very small handful of people who I think actually deserve the title. And that would include people like John Stossel. That would include people like Ben Swan. And especially, I think I put at the very top of the heap, it would be reporters like Glenn Greenwald. I've followed Glenn Greenwald for many, many years. And you would think... On the surface, well, how could you possibly follow him? He doesn't really have much in common with you. I mean, he's. uh, I'm assuming that his politics, his personal politics, probably lean to the left. I'm guessing. But see, I have to guess because it doesn't really come through in his reporting. He has been one of the most truthful and and right down the line, factual reporters that I've seen for a long time. And I used to follow with great interest The Intercept, which he co-founded with uh, Jeremy Scahill and Laura Poitras. And I think he also uh, founded co-founded uh, the parent company First Look Media. But I've watched because I, I subscribe to The Intercept And I've watched with interest as it has turned more into a tabloid in which uh, everything is, you know, it's it's anti-Trump hysteria. And I'm talking pearl clutching hysteria. And I thought, what a curious shift. And I've wondered how Glenn Greenwald is weathering that transition. Well, I guess I kind of got an answer today because uh, today he sent his intention to resign. From. The Intercept, as well as uh, from its parent company, First Look Media. And I want to share with you this is the letter that he sent. And what it comes down to is he was being censored. So he sends this to Michael Bloom, say, saying, Michael, I'm writing to advise you that I've decided I, that I will be resigning from First Look Media and The Intercept. He says, The precipitating, but by no means only, cause is that The Intercept is attempting to censor my articles in violation of both my contract and fundamental principles of editorial freedom. The latest and perhaps most egregious example is an opinion column I wrote this week, which five days before the presidential election is critical of Joe Biden, the candidate who happens to be vigorously supported by all of the Intercept editors in New York who are imposing the censorship and refusing to publish the article unless I agree to remove all of the sections critical of the candidate they want to win. And he says, all of that violates the right in my contract with First Look Media to publish articles without editorial interference, except in very narrow circumstances that plainly do not apply here. Glenn Greenwald goes on to say, "'Worse, the Intercept editors in New York, not content to censor publication of my article at the Intercept, are also demanding that I not exercise my separate contractual right with First Look Media regarding articles I have written, but which FLM does not want to publish itself.'" Now, he says, under my contract, I have the right to publish any articles FLM rejects with another publication. But Intercept editors in New York are demanding I not only accept their censorship of my article at the Intercept, but also refrain from publishing it with any other journalistic outfit. And they're using thinly disguised lawyer crafted threats to coerce me not to do so, claiming it would be detrimental to the Intercept if I published it elsewhere. Glenn Greenwald says, I have been extremely disenchanted and saddened by the editorial direction of The Intercept under its New York leadership for some time now. The publication we founded without those editors back in 2014 now bears absolutely no resemblance to what we set out to build, not in content, structure, editorial mission or purpose. And he says, I've grown embarrassed to have my name used as a fundraising tool to support what it is doing And for editors to use me as a shield to hide behind to avoid taking responsibility for their mistakes, including, but not only, with the reality winner debacle, for which I was publicly blamed despite having no role in it, while the editors who were actually responsible for those mistakes stood by silently allowing me to be blamed for their errors and then covering up any public accounting of what happened, knowing that such transparency would expose their own culpability." He says, but all this time, as things workened, worsened, rather, I reasoned that as long as The Intercept remained a place where my own right of journalistic independence was not being infringed, I could live with all of its other flaws. But now, he says, not even that minimal, but foundational right is being honored for my own journalism, suppressed by an increasingly authoritarian, fear-driven, repressive editorial team in New York, bent on imposing their own ideological and partisan preferences on all writers, while ensuring that nothing is published at The Intercept that contradicts their own narrow, homogenous, ideological, and partisan views. Exactly what The Intercept, more than any other goal, was created to prevent. He concludes by saying, I've asked my lawyer to get in touch with First Look Media to discuss how to best terminate my contract. Thank you, Glenn Greenwald. Now, I don't know if you can appreciate what he is walking away from. Because The Intercept is a, is a pretty, it's a pretty established, hefty platform. Notwithstanding the fact that they may have drifted from their original, you know, founding principles, they've got serious reach. They've got credibility. And for Glenn Greenwald to walk away, this is a classic example of someone who is putting principle above popularity. You can say what you want about uh, about Glenn Greenwald and about his views, but no one can say that he isn't principled, and I will definitely be subscribing to his uh, sub stack, greenwald.substack.com, in order to, to get his take on things. Look, you don't have to agree with somebody. You understand that, right? I mean, honestly, how many people are listening right now to me who say, Brian, I don't agree with you on much of anything. I just come to hear your smooth, sultry voice. No, I don't know. I don't know. Some people come to listen just because they, they figure they may not agree with me, but they know I will not Feed them a line. If I share something with you, I'm sharing the truth to the best of my ability to discern it. I kind of feel the same way about how Glenn Greenwald has approached his journalism. I'm not a journalist in the same sense that he is. But like him, I want to be a source of truth and light. For those who are seeking a better understanding of the world that we live in and and struggle to do so in the face of that blizzard of of misinformation and disinformation and incomplete information swirling around us. So if I could step onto the soapbox for just one more moment here. This is why I believe it is essential that everyone who, who likewise resonates with the idea that it's more important to speak the truth than ever before should be considering how to build their own platform. Now, if you want to blog, that's an option and it's easy to do. You can do it for free. Seriously, blogspot.com makes it very simple for you to, to, you know, put forth your own point of view. Some people won't do it because they're worried about being criticized or they worry, well, you know, but they're all, everybody out there is already famous and it's going to take me too long to do so. You got to put that kind of thinking out of your mind. I think back to uh, the observation T.K. Coleman made just a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it's not about building the biggest audience possible, but about speaking a message that needs to be spoken. Whether it's the spoken word, whether it's a podcast, whether it is a written blog. You're doing it because there are people out there who want to hear the truth and they will hear it from you. I don't know if this sounds too mystical, but I believe, that, uh, I believe that there are people who, for whatever reason, their hearts or their, their ear, their inner ear, is tuned to hear and recognize a, a specific voice that will resonate with them. They may hear a dozen different commentators say the same thing, but when somebody says it in a certain way, it reaches them. That means we need more people out there speaking the truth. And by the way, if you are interested in building your platform of truth, hit me up. I will do anything in my power to help you act on that and start building.
1: This is the Brian Hyde show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show.
0: Let's open up the phone lines here. 801-331-8113. I've got Ray standing by. Ray, thanks for your patience, and welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate you taking my call. And, and I've got to give it to um, Gren Greenwald because, um, you know, if one doesn't want the truth, that person is a puppet and is being manipulated. And so I don't know if people just love the security, the, the comfort of, of being manipulated and not having to think for themselves. You know, or, you know, if pe- people, a lot of people never tasted freedom and being able to think for yourself. I mean, I, I've got to give that guy credit, and I, I've got to say half of America, you know, give or take, is, is being manipulated. I mean, it's so obvious that Biden, you know, is a predator, you know, or you know, or a wolf. That that Biden is a wolf or a predator in sheep's clothing or a bunny clo- clothing, and, and and they look at. Biden, and they say, well, I don't get any information from him, but, you know, he makes me feel good. But Trump, you know, there's a whole bunch of information of the things he's done, like no other president in history, but yet, well, he doesn't really make me feel good. I mean, yeah. I mean, wow, I hope America is waking up you know how bad does it have to get before america wakes up and holds on to this this miracle that's never happened on the earth
0: well i'm i'm in agreement with you there ray it's this is the time where people need to find their voice and and not everybody wants to be the person who's speaking out. I mean, for some people, it's really scary. Well, I might lose my job. And I just I point to Glenn Greenwald and say, OK, but here's an example of a guy who faced with the choice of shutting up and going along and collecting what I assume was probably a pretty decent paycheck and, and plenty of notoriety for his association with a, uh, a world renowned, you know, uh, media outlet. He's walking away from it. He is stepping aside from what could be, you know, a lot of comfort because they will not allow him to speak the truth. That's the kind of commitment that I think every one of us has to have. And, and for those who are trying to find their voice, now's the time to do it.
2: Well, I'm hoping that he can sue them for a lot of money for a breach contract.
0: Well, and I, I, you know, I hope he gets what, what is due him, but at the same time, I think the best revenge possible on his part is to simply go out there and, and, and speak the truth. Do not be nice. silenced. Don't allow himself to be muzzled by those who were trying to, to shoehorn him into a little ideological, you know, place where, where only their opinions could be echoed. Yes. Anyway, nice. thanks for the call. Great to hear from you.
2: Uh, you bet. Always enjoy your show, Brian. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I, there's a book out there called, um, let me see if I can find this, Ethan Yang writing for the American Institute for Economic Research. Um, it's Oh, the book is called They're Both Wrong, A Policy Guide for America's Frustrated Independent Thinkers. This is actually by a writer by the name of John Tamney. And Ethan Yang does a great book review. This was published today on AIER.org. Let's see if we can uh, can move a few people out of the comfort zone with this. Ethan Yang says, if you get your information from about American politics from the media, politicians, and even from a lot of Washington, D.C. think tanks... You're doing it wrong. He says it goes without saying that politics is about mass mobilization and power. Narratives and oversimplification are the tools of the trade. Now, that would be fine if real-life consequences didn't come out of half-baked ideas about policy. But guess what? They do. And he says if you find yourself constantly frustrated by the superficial and borderline false explanations given to support various political agendas... Then he says you should look into John Tamney's latest book, They're Both Wrong, A Policy Guide for America's Frustrated Independent Thinkers. He says the name speaks for itself, and Tamney spares no time taking aim at both conservatives and liberals, dismantling their frequently peddled narratives, besting their emotional facade with independent, fact-based analysis. He says today it's rare to find any sort of analysis that resembles Tamney's independent and truth-focused writing. Few people in politics seem to care about looking a couple of inches below the surface and a few steps ahead into the future when it comes to making the case for their policies. And why would they? Politics is war. Power is the end that justifies the means. Victory is all that matters. If it riles up the masses and gets the right team elected, well, that's all they could ask for. The problem with the the way that this works, however, is that politicians don't need to live with the consequences of their decisions. The rest of us definitely do. That's why the level of analysis and thought Tamney exercises in his book is so desperately needed in today's politics, to bring back some semblance of concern for the consequences of the policies politicians are empowered to make and to usher in some sobriety to the drunken party that is Washington, D.C. Now, Ethan Yang says, other li- unlike the other books he reviews, Tamney's book doesn't have some groundbreaking thesis or ultimate idea. It's quite straightforward, and the title says it all. The book itself is a collection of essays, each touching on a common belief or talking point perpetuated by either the American left or right. He says each essay could essentially function as a policy brief, discussing with a high degree of detail and insight on why a certain talking point is mistaken. At the end of the book... The reader will have received an introduction in how to think clearly about important issues in American politics and whether or not you agree with Tamney's reasoning. Ethan Yang says you'll at least be able to see past the emotional appeal of certain ideas and start thinking about the facts. And that's something we certainly can all agree is important, especially today. He says Tamney doesn't wait to warm up the reader. He goes right for the hot stuff by starting off the book with a chapter on immigration and conservatives. We hear it all the time. Build the wall, protect American jobs. Immigrants are just here to take welfare. But he says in an interview with Tamney, he asked him what conservatives are missing when it comes to immigration. The answer? Basic economics. According to Tamney, the conservative aversion to immigration seems to go against everything that they ever believed in. and also just falls short of reality. Firstly, how will a wall along the Mexican border help anything? Roughly a 1,000 people still manage to escape North Korea every year, the most totalitarian regime on the planet. How big is the government going to have to get to fund a border wall over 1,700 miles long and adequately patrol it? Not only is that a silly question, but conservatives would be betraying their commitment to limited government. When immigrants come to this country, they are not here to take welfare. They are here to establish a better life And have a shot at prosperity. That's why someone would flee communist North Korea or the Soviet Union for America. Ethan Yang says, last time I checked, there are more handouts in socialist countries and people leave those countries for places like America. Immigrants want to come to work, not take welfare. Tammany points out in his book that immigration was at its most recent lows during the Obama administration, not the Trump administration. And he says, the reason for this is simple. President Obama presided over a worse economy. Now, he says, I'm sure the Obama administration was far more open and accommodating than the Trump administration. But immigrants are interested in working. There was more work to go around during the Trump and Bush administrations, and immigration tends to follow that. Tamney writes, if immigrants were in fact crossing the border for handouts... As conservatives regularly argue, wouldn't the Obama years have coincided with a massive increase in crossings? Wasn't Obama all about amnesty and handouts as is? There's more to the article. We'll come back to it in a few moments. But I think this is healthy. I think this is a healthy questioning whether you agree with it or not. Sometimes we need to challenge our own basic premises and see whether or not they hold up. You can still disagree, but you'll at least have a broader perspective from which to base your worldview. All right, we'll be back in a moment.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
0: And once again, thank you for joining us as we revel in wrong think. Whether you are listening to us on K Talk 1640 AM in Salt Lake City or KDXU in Southern Utah, whether you're catching us on the Loving Liberty Radio Network or the Fed by Ravens Media Network, or any of the other various platforms to carry this program and this podcast. Thank you for being a part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. Let's get back to the phone. 801-331-8113. Rob is standing by. Hello, Rob. How you doing, buddy? Fantastic. How are you?
3: I'm doing pretty darn good. Hey, uh, you know, you're talking about, you know, securing the borders, right? And immigrants coming in here just to be hard workers and stuff and... They just want to work, and they want to lead the communist nations. You know, they—I get it. They want to lead those communist nations because that—that's completely a whole different animal. You're just being controlled. You have no freedom. You know, and uh, you're being told what to pick and choose. You're given limited options in your life, and you know most people see that. But I have to disagree with you when you say they're not—they're all coming here to be law-abiding citizens and just work hard because. That's not the case. You know, it's totally not. And they are here for some handouts. They, some do abuse the system. And it's been, it's been downsized a lot since President Trump has taken office. You know, during the Obama administration, there was a lot of abuse on, uh, on that aspect of it. And there's a lot of ad- abuse even in some of our own citizens taking advantage of handouts in this country because they were being given all in the name of you know, votes so that we, you know, they can slowly consume you and take control of you. I guess that's how communis- communism begins, isn't it?
0: Rob, let me ask you this. Let's see if we can find some common ground here. Um, I can agree that not everybody comes here for the purpose of, you know, pulling their weight and, and standing on their own two feet. Can you agree with me that uh, not everybody comes here uh, for the purpose of milking the system either?
3: Yes, Absolutely
0: so to, to, to me the, the the answer then is I don't see the problem with people coming here looking for a better life. I think they actually bring they bring opportunity with them. but we have this bird feeder, so to speak, in terms of the welfare system um, to me it would it would make sense that maybe that uh, that thing needs to be dismantled, not just for their sake but for the sake of the folks here domestically who abuse that system.
3: Absolutely. I, I've, I've seen so many people, uh, regular citizens of the United States. I mean, think about it. When Obama was president, how many disability stickers did you see in vehicles? I mean, I've seen. I never kept track, kept, but,
0: you know, I... I've
3: seen more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Huh? And, and and you're getting you get that with uh, you know, women that have children and 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 they have more and more children with multiple husbands and. and they sit there and take the gravy train. It happens. They're getting paid housing. The illegals do the same thing too, as well. So, I mean, yeah, they're they're not all bad. They do some do come to work and work hard, and you know, are here. But on the same note, why aren't these politicians allowing them to be politicians?
0: Help me understand. Allowing them to be politicians. What, what does that mean?
3: Yeah, so why why can't an illegal immigrant go and become a firefighter?
0: Uh, can't they? Or do, no. they, do they have to have citizenship?
3: You have to have citizenship. Okay. Why can't you be a police officer if you're an illegal immigrant? Gotcha. If, if these people are so good and so great to come in here and it's all open arms and it's all doing good, think about that.
0: I think that... They put the, them in positions where
3: the, they can never, you know... Make decisions and, and, and it 's it's a, it's a very terrible thing we 're doing right now and it 's good go to Ellis Island, get checked in, and then depart into the populace like it used to be that 's how we used to do it you couldn 't come here unless you had a job set up
0: I think the gist had- the gist of what john tamney's pointing out here and and I know it feels like well he 's picking on conservatives or at least a conservative position, but what what many of of my conservative friends don't like to see here is that in order to restrict immigration, they have to resort to central planning. And central planning is always and will always be one of the hallmarks of socialism. It's 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 a blind spot. And, and it's not to say that all conservatives are, are closet socialist. But this is one area where a lot of them are willing to turn a blind eye because of that fear. Well, they're going to come over here and take jobs or commit crimes or, you know, sponge off the welfare system.
3: Well, you know, my, 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 my pet peeve problem is, and I know you're against it, and, I, and if it wasn't there, that'd be great, too. But, you know, to run a business in this country, there's certain laws that you have to adhere by, and there's certain permission slips that we have to apply with for to operate correctly. And, and I know a lot of people are against all that. And, and, you know, like I hear different folks say, well, I've never had a business license in my life. And a lot of these people that never had a business license are doing things that really, you know, you know, don't, you know, warrant liability and stuff, or, or risk, or stuff like that,
0: you know. Well, I'm but, I'm one who would question: Do we need those laws in the first place? Do you do you really need to go to government with your hat in your hand and say, "Please, may I work for a living"? Yeah,
3: I, I get that, I and mean, I wish it wasn't the case, but you know, that's the case right now under this. Thing. I, I'm all for it. If, if tomorrow if tomorrow, you can flip a switch and get rid of that and also get rid of health care provided by the taxpayer for the government employee, I'd be all for it tomorrow. I'd say go for okay. it. Get it done. Flip that switch. But that's not the case, and it's not going
0: to happen. But believe it or not, we've actually seen a lot of those occupational licensing laws by which we ask permission to work for a living, rolled back or at least in some cases reduced thanks to you know the, the economic struggles that have come from the government response to COVID. So there's a little bit of a silver lining. My point just being, those, those laws, it turns out, well, we had to relax this so that we could have, for instance, medical workers from another state come and help in this state without having to go through all the licensing hoops. Well if that's the case, if, if it didn't harm anything, why did those laws exist in the first place? Do you, do you see what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, oh I agree with you one hundred and ten percent. You know, and it's only good for when it works for them. Now, do you do you think like a do you think a, a steel worker from Wyoming ha- is getting the same leniency on coming like an iron worker wants to that's licensed only in the state of Wyoming wants to come into Utah and start hanging iron? Do that's you think good do you question to apply to a business? Yeah, he does, he will, because it has nothing to do with the healthcare industry and all the agenda of the COVID nineteen. You know, that's what I get. Like they'll they'll send firefighters to California to go help California. And without with a blink of an eye. And that's okay. No license needed to go there and do that kind of stuff, but they'll do it. So these are the things you gotta look at. And and we're we're kinda getting off track here, but you know, we're going into you know, we're talking about the illegal immigrants and there's so many here running businesses without business license not paying taxes taking under the table money um working without workman's comp insurance working without you know a tax id number and having to go through all that extra entities having a, a business license for that tax id number.
0: i'd rather see everybody else relieved of those burdens as well rather than I making sure that. that they're that. suffering as much as the rest of us
3: i i would too but it's it's just not the case. It's not the case if you want to do it correctly under the certain current laws.
0: Okay, you know now, right? and, and I, this is where I'm going to beg to differ. Correctly, according to the politicians and bureaucrats who put that system in place. But under, okay. under the free market, as long as a person is, is doing no harm, I think they ought to be free to, to peacefully do what, what they want to do. If that's operate a business, do it. We have plenty of, of ways that a person can get recourse if someone harms them or commits fraud. I just don't see that the politicians are making things better. How,
3: how do you get that recourse? How do you get that recourse if, say, I go to your house and I make you sign a contract with my company, and and under your 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 logic, I don't have a business license, mm-hmm. I don't have liability insurance, I don't have you know a tax ID number or anything like that, and I come and I make a contract with you. And I take hat. I want 50% down. You give me the 50%. I walk away, and I never do a thing. How do you recourse me? If I don't own a house, and I don't have any assets for you to come after, and I'm just Joe Schmo walking down the street.
0: Same way you would go after anybody else who engages in fraud or theft. Or, or, here's another possibility, maybe I do my homework and I get references, and I talk to people who've hired you before, and I realize this guy is not all that he uh, puts himself up to be. And so I choose to take my business elsewhere.
3: Well, that's a great point, but that doesn't happen all the time. You know? No, it's, it's,
0: it's an don't. imperfect system. But again, I'm just saying it to point out, it can happen without government looking over our shoulders and micromanaging and then charging a significant overhead for the privilege of extending its permission to us and punishing us like criminals if we fail to obtain its permission.
3: I agree with you 100%, but that's still, you're, you're, you're still, we, we, we can do that. But then you go to file your taxes, all your income. How do, you, how do you expand your business without having all that stuff like, okay, so now I want to buy a building in my business's name, and I want to use that building okay. for my company. i got,
0: I got to stop you here, but I get your point. Rob, thanks for the call. We'll take a break. We'll be back after these messages.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
0: All right, welcome back to the show. Just want to take a moment here to toot the horn of one of my sponsors. That would be Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. This is a name that should be of particular interest to my listeners in and around the Salt Lake City area because Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse is located in the heart of the Warehouse District. It is, in fact, a warehouse, just like it says, and it's the place to go if you are looking to stretch your grocery dollars, something that I think a lot of us are trying to do right about now. Sometimes we're, we're better than others, but I want you to go and check them out. They've got some great goodies uh, that you can, can see. Soups. These are frozen bags of soup. Look, when the cold weather blew in this uh, this past weekend, that was one of the first things I thought of. was, man, I want to get to Nicky's and and grab a couple of bags of these soups that uh, are just marvelous. And I mean, we're talking restaurant quality soups. They're seven bucks for a big bag. It's frozen. It's easy to fix. They've got uh, logs of hamburger. This is a ten pound chub of of ground beef. Twenty five dollars. They've got 40-pound boxes of boneless, skinless Foster Farms chicken breast. Only 45 bucks for a 40-pound box. Something you can can and put up, you know, for, uh, for uh, troubled times, assuming such a thing might be coming. Big old slabs of New York strips. You can cut your own steaks off them, $7.99 a pound. And, oh, oh, oh. pecan pie. Huge pecan pies and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Nikki's wholesale food warehouse, they accept EBT, they accept major credit cards, they are easy to find, but here's what you want to do. Is you want to jump onto their Facebook page, Nikki's N I C K E Y S, Nikki's wholesale food warehouse. When you go, when you go check them out and you say, "Yeah, this is this is a great deal." Make sure as you're paying them, you tell them, "I came in to check this out because I heard Brian Hyde talk about you and he said that you would have a great way to stretch my grocery dollar." Because you're going to see that it's absolutely the truth. Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. So the John Tamney book review that I was referencing earlier, I would encourage you jump onto the show notes at com and check it out for yourself. The Guide for Freethinkers, saying they're both wrong. By the way, just so you know, uh, Tamney goes after the left just as hard on their demagoguery as he does the conservatives for their demagoguery. The bottom line is when politics and power is the goal, you better believe that the people who are pushing that particular point of view or policy are going to say whatever they have to say to get you in their court. Politicians will say whatever it takes to get elected. They will do whatever it takes to get the money to keep them in power. In other words, to fund their their re-election campaigns. So being able to think clearly and independently. That is the challenge for our time, especially in polarized times like this. And Ethan Yang does a great job. He uh, summarizes by saying that this book is essential, not just because it provides insightful commentary on important political issues, but also because it provides a timeless lesson. This is that a country, a government and a society cannot sustain itself on a foundation of weak narratives. Independent thought and rigorous conversations are what form the backbone of a vibrant democracy. By the way, don't get triggered by the use of democracy in that sense. Here's another great article. This is from the uh, the wonderful Carrie McDonald. Trick-or-treat bans are the scariest part of Halloween in 2020. This is published on the Foundation for Economic Education's website fee.org. And Carrie starts by pointing out Halloween is creepy this year, and it has nothing to do with costumes and face paint. Several cities and counties have placed an outright ban on children's trick-or-treating due to COVID-19 fears, while others are strongly urging families to forego the practice. She says the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, advises individuals and families to spend this Saturday at home, alone, masks optional. Some communities are taking a more reasoned approach, allowing people to make their own decisions while acting courteously and responsibly toward others. This less heavy-handed approach toward Halloween is not only constitutionally sound, but it's also likely to be much smarter and safer. Now, she points out that Springfield, Massachusetts, was one of the first places in the U.S. to ban trick-or-treating. In September, the mayor canceled all trick-or-treating in the state's third-largest city, saying it was a no-brainer. A couple of weeks later, Worcester, the the state's second-largest city, also banned trick-or-treating, and other cities and towns have either prohibited trick-or-treating or have enacted various restrictions. Now, the Republican governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, pointed out that the potential unintended consequences of banning trick-or-treating and, and related Halloween festivities are as follows. Baker explained despite pressure to enact a statewide ban on Halloween, he said the reason we're not canceling Halloween is because that would have turned into thousands of indoor Halloween parties, which would have been a heck of a lot worse for public safety and for the spread of the virus than outdoor, organized, and supervised trick-or-treating. Meanwhile in New York Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo took a similar sensible stance saying I would not ban trick-or-treaters from going door to door. I don't think that's appropriate. You have neighbors you want if you want to go knock on your neighbor's door God bless you and I'm not going to tell you not to. Indeed Kerry says it has been suggested that trick-or-treating bans violate the First Amendment and citizens right to free expression. Now, that hasn't stopped the municipalities from enacting them, but some counties in Texas have prohibited trick-or-treating this month, as well as several communities in New Jersey. In California, Los Angeles County initially banned trick-or-treating and then quickly retreated, saying officials would not ticket families who decided to go trick-or-treating. I'd like to think that they're finally starting to get the idea that, look, for all your pronouncements and all your bossing around the people are going to do what they feel is acceptable or within an acceptable amount of risk. But there are still some that are saying, we will shut you down. And there's worse, there's there's Karens out there that are clamoring for, you know, well, we need to put some teeth into this. There needs to be enforcement. There needs to be fines. There needs to be jail. Yeah, if you ever wondered, how was it that, that societies found themselves suddenly in the grasp of totalitarianism this is a pretty good indicator of how it goes, little by little, with the, with the full-throated endorsement of those who have that need to be safe. Carrie McDonald says the CDC wants you to stay home on Halloween. She says these trick-or-treating bans and restrictions flow from guidance put forth by the Centers for Disease Control. Last month, it released its Halloween recommendations, urging such trick-or-treating substitutes as carving or decorating pumpkins with members of your family and displaying them, or enjoying a Halloween movie night <laughs> with the people you live with. She says, for a rollicking good time, the CDC suggests a virtual Halloween costume contest. It considers traditional trick-or-treating to be a high-risk activity this year, despite the fact that it happens outside and encourages mask wearing. Ha! Ha! <laughs> it's at least likely to be as safe as protesting, which many public health officials have applauded. Moreover, she points out trick-or-treaters typically gather individually or in small groups, lessening potential risks imposed by large outside gatherings. At a moment when youth mental health is precarious, she says banning trick-or-treating or enacting similar restrictions that dissuade families from participating in Halloween can exacerbate feelings of despair and disconnection. Fee's John Miltimore reported last week that suicides are up nearly 100% among young people in Wisconsin's second-largest county. And the recent tragic loss of a 10-year-old girl to suicide in another Wisconsin county rattled the community. The ongoing social isolation is damaging an entire generation of kids, posing a much greater risk to their mental health than the virus poses to their physical health. In a Weekend Wall Street Journal article, two of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration reinforced the dire consequences of ongoing pandemic restrictions and renewed lockdowns, especially on young people. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a physician and economist at Stanford University, explains that young people who face more medical and psychological risk from the lockdowns than they do from COVID infection are expected to submit to these lockdowns and related policies in the false hope that this sacrifice will protect the vulnerable people. Meantime, Dr. Martin Koldorf, a biostatician at uh, Harvard University, is even more forceful, stating that government lockdowns are the worst assault on the working class in half a century, the worst assault since segregation and the Vietnam War. He explains that current policies protect very low-risk college students and very low-risk professionals who can work from home while expecting older people and non-professionals to be out there working, including high-risk people in their 60s. So the working class is building up the population immunity that will eventually protect all of us. The Great Barrington Declaration authors, including Dr. Sunetra Gupta, an epidemiology professor at Oxford University, recommend a policy of focused protection over government lockdowns that would protect the most vulnerable individuals and groups in society while enabling lower-risk populations to go about their lives normally. Carrie McDonald concludes, not only are government orders banning trick-or-treating constitutionally flimsy, they can prompt more Halloween activities to move inside where the virus is known to spread more easily. And she says, these bans and restrictions also punish children and young people whose mental health and emotional well-being are increasingly deteriorating under dystopian isolation policies. And she says this year... These policies are the spookiest things about Halloween. Again, you'll find links to all of the articles referenced today in the show notes and maybe a few extras in case you're interested in some, uh, you know, extra credit reading. Thanks again for joining us.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show.